This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Zandra Robinson-Burns, writer and the protagonist of Heroin Training. Here with me to introduce today's interview is my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, who are we talking to today? Hi, Zandra. Today we are uh, talking to, or I interviewed... My friend Bernard Addison, who is an actor who I know from L.A., um, we've talked about him a little bit on the show. I think I've, I've shared stories about going to theater with him as well as watching some of his performances. And uh, to get us started, I thought I would tell our audience and you, because I don't even think I've told you how I know Bernard. I was wondering this myself, and so I'm so excited to hear the story. So it's such an L.A. story, but um, Bernard lived in the building that I moved into, the first building I ever lived in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I lived there for about two years, and he and I never spoke. Um, <laughs> like, we, we, we didn't really know each other, but I think towards the end of my living there, we had, you know, nodded to each other and said hello in the hall. And somehow theater came up and I learned that he was an actor and I learned that he uh, cared about Shakespeare. Um, and we had we kept saying to each other, oh, yeah, we need to we should have coffee or something. Oh, we should get to know each other. We kept sort of saying that and then and never following through. I end up moving from this building and uh, he he noticed that I was moving. And on my last day, not just my last day, within my last hours in this building when I was cleaning out this now empty apartment. Um, he knocked on my door and he's like, I can see you're leaving. Uh, he said, do you want a break? Can I bring you some ice cream? And he and I had our first real hangout as I'm exhausted cleaning out this apartment that was, you know, the, this sort of sacred space, the first space I lived in Los Angeles. We sat on the front uh, the front steps of our building and had ice cream together and just talked about life. And f- from there, we ended up becoming good friends and going to theater together frequently in the past year. But it was just so funny because um, we lived in the same building for, for like two years and we never actually hung out until my very last hours there. I love this story. It's so cute. And it it really reminds me of how endings can bring beginnings, too. Yeah, that's such a great reminder. And it was. He's been a great friend to me, and I'm so excited for people to listen to his story and listen to more about his process as an actor and an educator. Well, I am excited to share it. Bernard was in the first Zoom play that I saw, Citizen, and so in this age of digital theater, I feel like he's been to my house too. (laughs) And let's hear what you and Bernard talked about. Let's just get right to it. Welcome back to The Art Life. I am here today with my friend, Bernard K. Addison, who is an actor and 
theater teacher in Los Angeles. Bernard uses he, him pronouns, and he is someone who I have talked about on the show before. I've talked about projects he's been involved in or just uh, going to theater with him. So our audience may be familiar with his name or some of his work. Bernard, before I get started with the interview, I just wanted to ask you, is there anything you want to add to your bio for our listeners? Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, we'll leave it short and then we'll add on as we need to. I like it. It sounds good. Um, so on the art life, we we're interested in hearing about the process of your work since we're familiar with the product, acting, teaching, uh, Everything from the recipes that you love to the books you're reading to this conversation itself is part of your art life. So to get situated with you in the present moment, at the at this beginning moment, um, I just want to ask you, how is your art life? Um, my art life is, um, I would say, uh, it's it's percolating. It's um yeah that thing's the good word for it. It's been a, a an area of percolation with the things and the projects that I'm involved in, and you know my own personal being. I feel like I'm you know at a nice low simmer. Mmm, delicious. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is part of this the adjustment to to being more digital? In the past year, um, because you know, I, 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 I am amazed at myself <laughs> because you know this is all you know thrust upon us. You know, being um, teachers, public teachers, especially in the you know the large uh, school districts where you know COVID is you know COVID's a real thing, and it's you know there's no way we can actually safely go back to what we were doing. So yes, we are doing online instruction and that meant a lot of study on all the platforms in which that could happen and all the things I needed to learn in order to be able to teach. And I've been very, I've been very proud of some of the things that I've learned and it's been kind of cool. Um, so it'll be very interesting when we go back to, you know, live instruction that I have all these tools now that I can use to sort of keep, you know, keep engagement happening. I'm so happy that you're, you're feeling proud of yourself and that you've done the work to, to learn and catch up. And that even that you're already seeing the future where you can bring some of these lessons back into live in-person teaching. Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I've, I've been honest with my students because, you know, this is, you know, before all this happened, I was teaching, you know, what does it mean to get up and perform in front of an audience and the tools that I could give to the students to do that. And, you know, they had to deal with that kind of reality and, you know, and there are students that are more engaged with that than others. And then when we went into, you know, uh, you know, quarantine and uh, virtual instruction, you know, I didn't really know what to do at first because I'm like, okay, well, uh, I don't know if we can do, 
I can't get them to perform. My goodness, not theater. I can work on theory. So let's work on theory. So I found all these things for them to look at and things for them to write about. And I discovered voices that I hadn't heard in the classroom that, you know, all of a sudden these kids that were like sort of silent, I got to see their voices. And I was like, this is, this is beautiful. You guys work, you guys write very well. This is a voice. This is what I, this is everything I've been talking about with art. It's like your voice has to be present in what you do. And so I missed your voice when we were on our feet. Now I see your voice and that's great. Or I, I, I get your voice. Um, and now this year, it's been sort of like, okay, well, I I know their strengths, and I also know that my my um, extroverts that want to be on stage are are clamoring, and you know I'm trying to find ways to make both things coexist. Um, it's been very um, it's been it's it's challenging because you know all of those wonderful warm ups and all those wonderful touchy feely. Um, uh, in your body, you know, observing kind of thing is out the window, the kinesthetic part of it, but there's still observation that can happen. And it's also still a way of, a way of reaching out that can happen online. I mean, we do it every day now. I mean, we've been doing it for about what, you know, a decade or more, you know, reaching out over, you know, this, metal box. And sometimes the friends we make in social media become very personal to us, you know? And so I had to sort of remind myself that, wait a minute, you can have connection here. You do have connection here. Now let's see how that works in sort of teaching the whole idea of connection and see how we can get that here in this box and make it, you know, vibrant, just like it is on stage. I really appreciate the just noticing the silver lining of the voices that you suddenly can hear. One of the silver linings I've noticed in my own art life in the past year is that I'm more willing to try things if they're virtual classes Mm -hmm. or I'm able to move through my normal uh, body image issues or anxiety that I, that would stop me from doing something because I can turn my camera off. Like Mm -hmm. I've been doing dance classes that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. normally do because it's just, it's so much more comfortable when. Yeah, when you're not, you're not in a, yeah, you're not around 20 other people. And, you know, the, the, the third, the third eye, the second voice starts talking to you, you know, as you start observing other people mm-hmm. and, you know, the self-consciousness or maybe, or maybe even the ego, you know, right. if you're, uh, if you're of that ilk, that, okay. I'm wearing the skimpiest thing and I am making myself be seen, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's, you know, I've, I've been in many classes like that. I, when I was younger, I was, you know, I did a lot of um, bodybuilding. And so I would, I was around that world, you know? And to me, I was like, I just wanted to be healthy. And I kind of like what this gave me, but, you know, I could see the other side and I was like, huh. you know, but, you know, I would, I can understand taking a class now and being at your own pace and rocking out in your own world and and enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, it does sort of remove some of those ego problems and it makes it more about the learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're willing. Some people can't do it though. Some people need the the stimulus. They need the outside stimulus. They need the they need the 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 
teacher instructor watching them and guiding them and assuring them that they're doing okay. So it's, you know, it's interesting. One of the first things I wanted to ask you, even outside of of quarantine, outside of this year, was just how has teaching acting changed your relationship to acting itself? You're obviously a, you're a stage performer yourself outside of being a teacher of it. And I'm just so curious how, how your students and your, your classes have changed your relationship to the craft. Um, I've been teaching for a very long time. Um, I've been teaching. I started teaching when I was a junior in college. Um, there was a, you know, uh, I guess an adult education class on acting and um, it was offered to me. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm just a junior in college and you guys are offering me this, this class. I don't, you know, I, I really. And they're like, listen, and it's a note that I always tell, um, like I actually told this today to um, a work-based learning coordinator who's going to be coming into class. And she's done this beautiful like um, uh, presentation to help the kids learn how to, you know, navigate um, online applications, and so we're going to be doing that tomorrow because they all have to they have to be ready to um, uh, apply for this um, performance uh, uh, contest. And she was sort of like, "Well, I you know, I was like, don't worry, I will have the chat off." They only come to me and then the questions come and, you know, answer it. And she said, well, I don't, I hope I can answer them. And I said the same thing to her that was said to me years ago. You know more than the people taking the class. Have faith and comfort in that. Even if you don't think you know enough, you know more than they do. And if you walk in knowing that you have something to give them, you will always be fine. And so that's, um, and so with that, that helped me, you know, marry that. And I actually had such a wonderful time teaching these, um, um, uh, you know, adults that were taking class because they wanted to. And, you know, I had a reputation. So they saw me in shows and they remember me from the show. So they were excited to be in the room with me. And that was kind of shocking to me because I'm like, you know, well, how am I at the time? 20 you know, at the time, just beginning to like get started and to have these older people like, you know, validate me as an artist. And that was great. That was cool. Um, and so I've always been uh, hand in hand being a, a performer and also an educator. Um, every time I've gone to a regional theater, I would always find the head of the education department and say, what are you guys doing for education? What are you doing for outreach? How can I help? How can I be of assistance? And so that's been fun. Um, you know, I used to be a, a university professor, you know, a very young university professor. And it, it was it was too early for me and I had to leave it. But um, now here I am ensconced in high school drama, you know, where it's sort of like, it feels, it feels, I don't know, I wouldn't say maybe right, but maybe expected because I enjoyed drama in high school so much. 
and it was like it, it, it was like a familiar place to be. Um, and also the youth energy, you can't deny that. You just can't deny it. Um, I, you know, my older or my contemporary actors, you know, there's a rut that can happen if you're not inspired. And if all you do is what you know what to do, then at some point you're not going to want to do it anymore. Um, because it will just, either you do it for the wrong reasons or you have nothing else to do or you give it up completely. And so for me, it's been great because um, I, I come in refreshed whenever I get a project because there's energy and ideas and ways of seeing things that I've stolen from my students. And that's been great. And that's helped me in a lot of ways. So, yes. I had no idea that you've basically always been a teacher as well. I'm so happy that I learned that. I, I didn't know that part of your story. Yeah. Um, so why acting? Like, was this, all, was this always your calling? It sounds like, I guess you studied this in college. So you've I been studied this, this I, a long time. <laughs> I started acting when I was 13. I was in middle school. And... I tell this story. It's 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 still kind of incredible. Um, you know, I, I stumbled into it because of just when I was a kid, I used to read so much. I was if you find any picture of me as a as a boy, young boy, I would never be looking into the camera because I would have a book in my hand. And yes. everybody else would be like, you know, doing their thing. And I would be somewhere because they said, get in the picture. And I would get in the picture, but I would still have my book. Um, and so I had just all these ideas in my head, but I did, they didn't have any place where they could live. Um, I was overweight as a child um, and as a young teen. And, you know, kids are cruel. And I remember one day as we were doing a sign up for, uh, you know, extracurricular activities, you know, one of my, one of my friends at the time sort of, you know, intimated that I should sign up for the football team. And he basically said, you could sign up for the football team and you can be the entire front line. Ouch. And, and. You know, whatever, you know, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it, it was one of a many of those. And, you know, but my thing was that because he said that, even if I were interested in sports, I wasn't going to do it just because you said that, just because you assumed that's where my story was. And they were still looking. I did had no idea what to sign up for. And in my head, right at that weird moment, my weird mind, I started thinking about television and I started thinking about favorite shows on television. And I remember two things. I had two favorite shows on television. Um, one was, I think it was either Flip Wilson or Mary Tyler Moore show or Good Times. And I remember when I read TV Guide about what was happening that week, um, they said it was a comedy. And then I remember my other favorite TV show, which was The Waltons. You know, very homey, nice feeling, goodnight John Boy TV show. And 
it said it was a drama and I really liked that show. And I sort of blurted out, well, I like drama. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it ignited a fire under the teacher who I guess wanted was, wanted, was a secret drama mama. And she was <laughs> like, oh my God, yes, we can have drama. If you can find other people to be a part of the drama club, we can have drama. So I got all my friends to sign up. And we had a drama club. And the first show we did was a radio play called Santa Calls a Conference. And it was basically all the various Santa Clauses around the world had to call a conference as to how they could save Christmas. And I played Pierre Noel, Pierre Noel, with my bad French accent. <laughs> and um, we did it the last day of school on the PA system. Um, and then when we finished, I left and I got on the bus to go home and I got on the bus and all those kids that, you know, made fun of me started applauding. And they all said, we, you were great. You were the loudest one there. And I went, okay, guess what? I guess this is it. You know, I, I guess this is what I need to sort of like, you know, get to that place where I can be accepted and be myself. So, and then of course, from then on, it just sort of, I got more and more involved and, you know, and kept going. And then came the work. <laughs> yeah, the work was there. The work came, you know, the work actually came in high school because we had a very good high school um, drama program. And I do remember this one moment. Oh, my God. Things that pop up in your head. You never know you're going to talk about. Um, I was doing Bus Stop by William Inge, that play. That nice I love little, that play. That nice little chestnut. And I played Carl, the bus driver. And it, at that point, it was probably the largest role at that point I had in high school. And, you know, the director was really just sort of like, you know, exasperated. And I remember one time as he was giving notes, like a week before the show opened, he called everybody by their character name to give them notes. And then he called me Bernard. And he said, you know why I called you Bernard and not Carl? Because I don't see Carl up there. All I see is you doing whatever you're doing and you're not taking it seriously enough. And until you take it seriously enough, I will always call you Bernard in the note session. Wow. And that, sh that shook me. And I went, oh, my God, I need to do something. <laughs> you know? And so I started working on everything after that. And, you know, next couple of days, he finally called me Carl. Mm. You know, and I was like, ah, he was like, good job, Carl. I was like, ah, you know. And so I remember that. Those are those little things you remember, you know, in terms of, you know, the work that I had to do the work. I wasn't there just to sort of kid around. And so, yeah. Well, and even at this point, the work continues. I mean, as your friend, I know that you've been, just in the past few weeks, doing all of this work, like getting back into school and rehearsing for your most recent production. So it certainly, it certainly doesn't end at any point. Um, I, I don't know if you ever have a full day off, but... I do wonder, like, what what does a day off look like for you? Uh, what you what do you do to restore your energy? 
I don't really have a full day off because anything can happen. Um, I guess my full days off were like, you know, once school was over during the quarantine and I had to sort of like live with the isolation. Um, and it's a different animal living with the isolation as it is to just being on a vacation, quote unquote. Um, yeah, I, I, I started, once the isolation started, I was like, well, I need to start it like, I sort of started thinking ahead, like, okay, guess what? A lot of things are going to happen, you know, and you're going to have to be ready for it because a lot of it's going to happen with you being home. And so get things ready. So I started like buying like, you know, things, you know, like drop you know, backdrops and I bought a nice microphone. I got a system here and I started buying things for my place to sort of get ready for voiceover. So even though my day off was like not working, I was still working and preparing to move to the next level, whatever that level was. Um, you know, within the day, I, you know, go for walks or something like that. I, you know, just sort of like make sure I don't get too much of a COVID body. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think when it comes to days off, my mind is racing about what, should I be doing or what can I be doing in addition to resting? Okay. I can rest, but is there, is there a little something for my art, for my career that I can do today and do it? And so that's what, you know, so yes, I have days off, but no, not really, because, you know, I always go, well, I can do this. You know, I need to read this. I need to read this play. Let me read this play. You know, oh, I need to like catch up with, you know, a friend on the East Coast and because they're doing a play and I want to talk to them about, you know, their experience. So let me call them, you know, so it, it's those things. So sort of keep myself going that way. So, yeah, um, you know, cooking is part of my pleasures. Um, I like going out to wine country. I haven't been able to do that at all. So that's coming up. So, um, and things like that. And I have friends that live in the mountains and friends that live on the coast. And I like to go to those places and chill. Um, every now and then I'll get in a car and I'll just drive to like a beach city and rent a hotel room and stay there for a couple of days and then come back. So things like that. I love the the little trips away. It's been my experience in LA and certainly I can't do that right now, but it has been my experience that I have to leave every month oh, or yes. two just yes. for a weekend. You got to leave. You got to yeah. do something else. Yeah. I see where they're trying to like, you know, encourage um, Los Angelinos to actually, because uh, COVID is you know, really affected tourism, you know, badly, that they're actually trying to encourage Angelinos to actually, you know, go to a hotel and stay for a couple of days to help out with that, you know, that industry. And so I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool to go to a hotel in LA and just, you know, spend a weekend in, in LA in a hotel. Interesting. 
Maybe I should do that. I like that idea. Yeah. Well, I know that I've benefited directly from your cooking, so I'm glad that you brought it up. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's an art form in itself. It know? is. It absolutely is. I, I was going to ask you if you if you play with different art forms as a creator. I know that you cook, though. What mm-hmm. else? Um, you know, I uh, I don't I don't play an instrument. Although I wish I had learned, um, I, you know, I used to I used to play a lot of tennis. Um, I don't I don't get out there as much anymore, you know. And tennis is sort of like very artistic in terms of a sport. Mm, um, yeah. And, uh, but cooking has been the one thing that even in the the darkest darkest moments of no work. No job, no money. I can still whip up something, you know, and I can whip up something and go over to a friend's place that has money and say, let me cook for you. (laughs) And they always say, yes, of course, come over and cook. Use our kitchen, please. And my, my thing is pretty much survival. It's like, I don't have any money to buy any food. So, but you have food, but you don't like to cook. I like to cook. Let's do this. And so I do it, you know. There are stories from friends about, you know, days of, you know, uh, the bachelor or the um, solitary single Thanksgiving where I would grab half of my kitchen in New York City and get on the train to, you know, Astoria, Queens or or somewhere down in Brooklyn to go to somebody's house to cook to cook an entire Thanksgiving dinner. And grab all my stuff and come back. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would have a wagon full of stuff. Well, and it is an offering too, right? Like even if you're not buying the groceries, you're creating something for your friends and you're and you're providing a service. Yeah. You're providing a, a gift for them. Yeah. And 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 they and it's come in handy. I mean, there was a well, I guess about what, 10, 15 years ago, maybe, you know, I was in one of those downward moments of no money what to do and it was around the holidays and i said you know what no let's cook and so i actually sent out an email and saying i'm selling i'm selling pies so i'm making apple pie i'm making lemon meringue pie i'm making um what's the other pie that i made i can't remember oh a pumpkin pie Mm. you know and i i must have made almost a thousand dollars off of selling pies yeah, people just said, "Oh, you're making pies? Hell yes!" <laughs> you know, you know how small my apartment is. I had, you know, plat, you know, uh, uh, planks, wooden planks on my bed, where pies would be landing and staying. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So I had a I had a little service here. It smelled great. <laughs> Bernard, you mentioned a few times already in this episode your love of reading. And um, our listeners are largely bookworms, enthusiastic bookworms. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you read? Do you just read plays? Do you read self-development? What, what's your genre? What's the book that inspires you most? Tell us about your reading habits. Um, my reading habits have changed 
dramatically from my early days where I just was a vociferous reader and I read everything. Um, and, you know, going to the stage where now, because of what I do, I read all the time, but it's not 100% pleasure. There's something, there's something that has to be gained from it. Um, I have to read, I, I, I want to stay current with what's happening in theater. So I have to read new plays. So I, I read a lot of new plays. Um, you know, the last new play I read was this beautiful play called Fairview um, that I I have close to my heart. And I'm like going, okay, is anybody going to do this when we're back up? Because if they're not, if I don't hear anybody doing this, I may just actually put my hat in the ring about directing this play because I love this play. Um, so I read new plays. I read old plays because I have to find stuff for my students, you know, and they're just starting their world. And so they don't know a lot of stuff. And I don't, and I also want to make sure that they're not doing the same things that everybody else is doing. And so I try to find, you know, off the beaten path plays, plays that are recommended, you know, every now and then I'll go onto Amazon and go, okay, what play should I buy? And just buy it and just look at it and read it and have it in my, um, in my library. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to get back to, you know, reading longer form, um, uh, books and novels and, uh, you know, memoirs. Um, I'm getting, uh, I ordered the James Baldwin cause I haven't read him in a while. And so I want to start reading some more James Baldwin that should be happening soon. I want to read all of the new, um, uh, writers that are writing about anti-racism. I want to hear their voices. I want to hear their thoughts. I want to see where, um, where, where the where the where the ideas are now, and how that you know how that impacts me. You know, um, so so my reading becomes, you know utilitarian but it also it it is fulfilling because i read a new play and i just get i just get excited i just go oh my god i can see this oh yes all right cool you know and so you know that's what inspires me um there was a time uh, when i was at um, oregon shakespeare festival um i was there for the entire year i did two plays the entire year they opened at the top of the season and ran the entire 10 months. So I had tons of time. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to read all the classics. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I even read um, uh, Ulysses. I, that was a big, that was a highlight for me to actually like pick up Joyce and go, I'm reading this book because everybody says it's the book. It is the novel. It is the, it is, it's maddening and it's crazy. And, you know, it's exciting. And it was a, it was a journey. Um, some of my favorite writers, well, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is one of my favorite writers, you know, 100 Years of Solitude, Love in the Time of Cholera. I love that book. That's a beautiful, beautiful book. I need to pick it up again. It's just gorgeous. Um, you know, in my early days, I liked John Irving, um, and, uh, Toni Morrison, Alice Walker. You know, just some, you know, writers that have, you know, fueled me. And so 
but I haven't read anything from them in a while. I haven't p- re-picked up a book. Like I want to pick up, re-pick up the bluest eye and read it again. Um, so that that's where I am right now. I don't, you know, that's that's my reading life. Well, if you need to borrow a copy of Bluest Eye, I have it on my shelf, and I will drop that off for you anytime. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing Fairview whenever that happens. <laughs> Either you're directing or acting in it. Um, it's, it's cool to look forward to something and just know that you know, whenever it happens. Hey, you could be in it. I can't wait. <laughs> Let me know how I can contribute to putting it up yeah. um, outside of just acting. It's so important right now to talk about the, those dreams that we have those future projects that we know we will realize in the next few years. Mm -hmm. It feels so important to acknowledge that and say, Hey, it's going to happen. You know, I look forward to being there in the audience or on the stage with you. Um, Yeah. And this, by the way, thank you for the invitation, but this, (laughs) this reminds me, (laughs) Uh, Bernard, when we met, Mm -hmm. when we met, I was under the very wrong impression that there was no good theater in LA. Yeah, you told me that. And I was basically saying that off of hearsay, you know, just just hearing film people say that. And um and having gone to a couple like Hollywood uh what what is it? What is the they have the play showcases. Yes. I had gone to a few of those and I was super disappointed because it was all young TV actors in their 20s, basically, who wrote pretty shitty short plays just so they could get seen and invite invite agents to come see them, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I was under this very wrong impression that, oh, well, there's just no good theater in L.A. And you were quick to tell me how wrong I was and and bring me to so much great theater, even just in a few months before quarantine hit. Um, and I, you know, I really appreciate that you did that. So you've shown me so many wonderful productions just in, in a few months and in our well, city. I was very lucky because I was able to get tickets. I was like, yeah, so I was I was one of those things at some point. At some, I was like amazed I could get all these tickets, all these things. But, you know, it's, it's kind of it, it. It makes me feel good that people recognize, you know, say, well, you know, opening night, let's get Bernard Addison some tickets. You know, that's kind of cool. Not only that, but getting to see like John Leguizamo's play, mm-hmm. uh, Latin History for Morons. That's something I had wanted to see so badly. And you were like, great, let's go. <laughs> I can take you. And it was marvelous. Yeah. It um, was fun. So I'm so glad that you, I mean, that you taught me th- what that my belief was not true. Uh, and I, I've also been able to meet some of your great LA theater people. So I just, I wanted to ask you what your favorite thing about the Los Angeles theater community is. Well, you know, when I moved here, I didn't, I thought I wasn't going to do theater again because I was under that impression um, that, okay, I'm moving to LA. That means my theater career is over. I'm going to be here and I'm going to commit, you know, entirely to television and film. Um, uh, I was invited here because people saw me in theater. And so when I came and I met all these people, it was great. But then, you know, I got started getting auditions for the large theaters. You know, my first big theater job was doing um, Romeo and Juliet at the Amundsen with Sir Peter Hall. So it was like, boom. I was like, I was like, oh, I'm working with Sir Peter Hall, 
you know, at a large, large house in Los Angeles. How, what? Huh? <laughs> How did that happen? You know, um, why is it not at BAM? Why is it not, you know, in New York? Or why is it only, what's happening here? Um, you know, it's an interesting theater community here. Um, the film community or the film industry and everything about it is the lifeblood of the creative commercial life of Los Angeles. So everyone has to bow down to it. Um, and so you get like the bad showcases. But also you forget that a lot of those actors that you see are very good actors that have trained in theater and didn't really want to give it up. And that was one of those actors that I didn't really want to give it up. And I started looking around and started like going, okay, who does good theater? And I got names of companies and I started going to their work and started seeing, okay, and seeing these actors that had resumes that were all over the place. And I was like, okay, so this is sort of like a, you know, underground theater um, community. It's underground, even though the actors are top notch. It's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it can show itself off like New York or like Chicago because those communities, you know, are dominant. The film community is dominant here. So we could have great theater, but nobody would know anything about it because the film community is in charge of it. Or or over overseeing everything. So, and also I think it's an issue of geography. Um, Chicago and New York are are you know contained cities. They're finite cities. You know the, they live together. They live in cramped spaces. And you know the theater community is a community. People live within you know a, a fair radius of each other. You know. Los Angeles is 60 miles across. And so that's tough to actually try to have a community when, you know, there's great theater happening in Santa Monica, but am I going to go to it? <laughs> you know, it's going to be hard for me to go to it because of, you know, travel or there's great theater happening in the Valley and I have to make arrangements to make that happen. So it becomes, it becomes find your spot and find a theater in your spot and join with those that theater and make it happen there. I also think that um, LA is rife for young for writers. I think you know you'll see a lot of experimentation in LA theater. Um, and because we can, the writers are here and they you know they get involved in a theater company, they put up something new and next thing you know it's there and is and it's working. You know, and I've met a lot of writers here, and it's been great to sort of work in that vein with new work. You know, I didn't do a lot of new work in New York. I did a lot of classical and a lot of, you know, tried and true plays. Um, here, I've done new work, and that's kind of cool. So, yeah, I, I think I, I that I, I would say it's sort of, you know, it, it's a, it's it's potent. It's underground. And... I think we like it that way. 
I was going to say it's such a great perspective that because film and TV is the is the dominating focus here or even commercial work is is the dominating focus um that underground aspect of of being a theater artist might even make it easier to like find your people. Yeah. In a city that can often feel very isolating or lonely. Yeah, I mean you join companies and then you have your people. You know, um I actually just got to, I need to write them because Antius has asked me to join their company. And so I'm probably going to join them because, you know, they're my people. They're actors that are, you know, well established and, you know, doing good work. And they're, they're beginning to like adjust their, their um, mission statement to include more new plays. And I'm, I'm excited. I, I sort of stayed away from becoming a company member of anything because I just wanted just to be my own, you know, my own, you know, vagabond self. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, these other theater companies, you know, and I've worked with the Fountain Theater and the Fountain Theater, you know, doesn't really have a company, but because their work is pretty much solid and new and fresh, it's been fun to sort of be in that vein of, you know, having them call me and say, I got this new play. I've developed this play, you know, of, you know, I, I looked at the novel of Citizen and I wanted to put it up. So why don't you come in and read it for me? I was like, okay, sure. And next thing you know, we're putting it up. So yeah, it's, it's that kind of like interesting, you know, relationship that I love. So we've started touching on this, but you've been an established actor in LA now for quite a while. And that's a very hard thing to accomplish. A lot of people come and go here. Um, and I'm you've started getting to this already, but I'm just wondering, like, how do you discern what projects are right for you when you're approached? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, was it, what did Morgan Freeman say that... You know, he considers himself an itinerant actor. Whatever's on the itinerary, that's what he does. Ha. And so I sort of I sort of marry that to my aesthetic. You know, that, you know if it's if it's if it's to be done and I can do it, I'll do it. Um if if it can be done by somebody else. I'll let that other person do it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I, I say no more than I say yes. And, and the reason I say no is because, you know, it, it, it takes a lot out of me to work and I have to, I have to honor myself and honor whatever little time I have with myself and whatever I need to be, you know, thinking I, you know, because I have this other life as a teacher I have to make sure that I don't, you know, upset the apple cart on the uh, on either side. Um, so I say no a lot. You know, shows that want to go out of town. I definitely say no to because I don't want that. I don't want to leave this, leave my school and my students, and then come back and I don't have a job or whatever. Um, and at the same time, you know. I tell my I tell my job that you know they want to have me do more things and I say well I'm going to say no to you because I do have another career and I have to honor that career and I have to make sure that I'm not ever saying no to my agent when they say we have a job for you or an audition for you I can never say no to them so I will make sure that's that's free 
Um, now, if you're talking about aesthetic as to what I will do and what I won't do, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I consider myself that kind of actor that considers himself to be a vessel for for the story. The story's got to interest me, and then am I the right person for it? Do I see the right myself as the right person for it? You think I'm the right person for it? You have to tell you have to tell me why, you know. And if that's so, then I will. I will find what it is inside of me and make it happen. Um, you know, I'm at, I'm not, I'm not super young, so I don't have to do things that. I know. At one time, I went out for a thing on, I guess it was it uh, NYPD Blue when it was still on TV, and they had me go in for like a, you know, uh, a, a prisoner, and the audition didn't go well. And I was like, well, that didn't go well, probably because I'm not right for this. And, you know, maybe you shouldn't send me out on these anymore because I'm not right for these, you know? Mm. So, you know, I walk into the room and I see somebody sitting there and I go, he's right for the role. Why am I here? <laughs> you know, I want to go home. You know, I want to get some ice cream. I want to do something else, you know? I, I And so to me, it's sort of like, if I'm not right for it, then I don't really want to be trying to pre- convince myself that I am. And I think that's where my aesthetic lies. So whether it's, you know, like, you know, I think about, um, I think about uh, Morgan Freeman. I mean, his big break was playing a pimp, mm. you know, but he played a pimp as only Morgan Freeman could. And so, so he was able to take, you know, a role that a lot of black actors could, you know, say, I don't want to play that part of black life or stereotype life. He found himself in it and made it something, you know, totally different. And so I try to stay away from what I won't do. Um, I just know that if another actor can do it, they should do it. (laughs) And so that's, that's been my aesthetic. So speaking of just respecting how much it takes out of you to perform and teach the time and the emotional commitment to, um, a few days ago, I, I watched your live stream performance of the Ballad of Emmett Till. That's so sweet. Thank you. It was amazing. And I, I watched it with my roommate, Katra. We've, we watched Citizen, your other performance as well, earlier this year. Um, it was beautiful and it was a deeply disturbing piece of digital theater, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reunited you with the rest of the original cast and director. Um, the show premiered in 2010, and mm-hmm. it must have been exhausting to perform a piece about racist violence like over and over all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katra, my roommate, she wanted to ask you, she's an actor as well, she wanted to ask you, how do you take care of yourself? When you're acting in something with such upsetting subject matter, like uh, there's more to, you have to do it for weeks on yeah, end. Especially there's, there's more to the Emmett Till story. There's more. Um, back in 2009, um, I was I, I got a call from uh, a dear friend who used to work at the Fountain Theater. His name was Ben Bradley. I had great success with him years earlier doing Joe Turner's Come and Gone. 
that too was a very, you know, beautiful, taxing, long running, successful production, you know, awards, nominations and stuff like that. And he called me and he said, you know, brother man, that's what he used to say. Um, I'm calling you because I have this opportunity here. Um, you know, there's this play called The Ballad of Emmett Till. It premiered at the Goodman Theater um, that year, I think, in 2009. And he saw it and, you know, it was a two-act play and it has like 15, 20 characters in it. And and good at the Goodman, it was 15, 20 characters, you know, actors playing the roles. And he commissioned... Ifa, he says, I want to do your play, but we have a small theater, so we can't do 15 people, 15 actors. Can you redo your play to make it 90 minutes long? And I only want to use five actors. And he called me and he said, I want you to be in this play. And I was like, a play on Emmett Till. Okay. All right. Let's take a deep breath, you know, and let's see what's going to happen with this. And it's beautifully poetic play. And we started rehearsal on it. And I think we had three rehearsals just before the holidays. So, and then we dis- then we took a Christmas break off. Came back the day after New Year's. We had an audition, we had a rehearsal call. Actors were there. We showed up, we were talking and chatting, and Ben was nowhere to be found. And we're sitting there going okay, where is he? What's happening? Um, This is weird. This is strange. This is odd. Um, And then at some point, the theater said, go home. We'll talk to you later. And then I got a call the next morning. They had gone to his apartment and discovered that he had been murdered. Wow. Yeah like the night before or the day before, that it was a brutal murder. Um, Because I was like, well, if he didn't show up, I mean, what's the old adage? If you don't show up, you better be dead or you better be whatever. And so, you know, my heart was racing because I also knew that he had some health issues. Mm. But then they told me that it was a murder. And it was tough. And we sat in limbo for like a week or so until Stephen Sachs called up Shirley Joe, who had worked at the theater before and said, Shirley, can you come and direct this play? And so she had to walk in to a, a rehearsal with five actors in great pain to direct a play about one of the most painful chapters in American history. And so her whole point, her whole direction was this, was teaching us how to take care of ourselves because we are already in pain. And we got to go deep in this thing because we got to bring it out. And you got to be able to take care of yourself because you've got to channel. You've got to be able to open up yourself to let whatever, let the deepness of 
the ancestral um, spirit possess you. And then you've got to be able to let that ancestral spirit jump out of you immediately. Because A, it's 90 minutes long, you're playing extra characters, so you can't wallow. You have to jump into something else. And B, this is going to be very important because when you are done with this, you're going to discover your audience is going to be in the same position that you are in right now. And you have to be there for them to help them navigate through their pain, navigate through their emotion. It was an incredible, um, uh, it was an incredible rehearsal period because of that. Because there would be moments where all we would do is dance in the in the rehearsal room. Like we get to two pages, but we spent the entire time laughing and dancing. And so, so I was like, she was like, you know, someone walked in here and thought we were doing the ballad of Emmett Till. They'd be so upset with us because all we're doing is laughing and dancing right now. Um, and because she was like, you know, we got to get it out of our system. We got to just do whatever comes into being. And so, because we know where we got to go, but we also got to know where, what, how to land, and where should we land. Um. So it was a great experience for that because she was right. Um, we had gotten to this play, you know, really gotten into a place with it and, you know, in our own little worlds with it. And then when we premiered in front of the audience, you know, we were stunned with their reactions because they were just, you know, they were stunned by the whole thing. And how many times did I have to like, you know, you know, meet somebody and all they did was cry on my shoulder for five minutes. Yeah. And I had to be there for them and say, it's okay. It's going to be fine. It's good. You know, you know, and they're like, how can you be this way? And we go upstairs and we party <laughs> and we stay out. I mean, we close the theater down. We stay up there at two, three in the morning, dancing, partying, just having a great old time. And people would look at us and go, you guys just did that down there. And now you're up here having this time. And we're like, oh, yes, because we know where that needs to be. We can't take that home with us. And so it has to stay here and we have to excise it so we can go home and go to sleep and be at peace with ourselves and 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 have that, you know, taking care of ourselves. Um, I took a lot of baths because water is always a, is a healer. Um, and so those days, just go and sit in the bath and just let water take over. Um, and uh, for this one, it was very interesting because it was, you know, we didn't have each other physically, you know. And so that one, so this one was, it was interesting that we got to this place, but it was real. And, you know, Shirley was like, you know, it sounds like you guys are here. Like whenever someone has a problem with their, with their, um, Headphones, she was just like, well, can't somebody just go give them the headphone? And she realizes, wait a minute, they're not in the same room. <laughs> so, but I just thought you were. And so that was kind of, that was beautiful to sort of have that. But yeah, you know, uh, taking care of yourself when you're doing something where you have to go deep is that you also have to plan where you're going to go, how you're going to get out of it, and where you and where you need to land in order to feel like you're on a solid ground again. 
So a lot of people go deep, but they don't plan, you know, well, how do I get out of this and where do I land? And I think you have to do that for yourself when you're doing something, you know, rough. Otherwise, you're just going to like, it becomes it becomes this emotional, you know, uh, issue where you end up having to spend thousands of dollars for, you know, therapy because of, you know, you opened up something that maybe you shouldn't have opened up. So yeah, it's it's that kind of thing. So I hope that answered your question. I'm not sure. Oh, it absolutely did. And just because you you sort of revived this play for a, for a special digital performance this year, how were you able to translate any of those dancing self care practices? Well, when we got back together, thing. yeah, when we got back together, all of a sudden, you know, you know, the little names we called each other. Like I called Karen Melina White, no purpose, you know? <laughs> and so she was, you know, and so she would say something and she was like, oh yeah, I remember, I, I remember I liked you. I, I fell in love with you during the show. I was like, yes, you did, but you didn't do anything with it, you know? <laughs> and so we would just have, we would have this back and forth with each other and all of a sudden it's back. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was fun and, you know, make fun of, you know, like Rico would be like the, you know, cause he's like the big guy and we always call him chesty. And, you know, and so we just have this fun thing with each other. And that all came back, all the names and all of the, you know, ribbing each other came back, you know, and as we were beginning to remount and re revisit this and revisit this in the in this new way. Um, it was, uh, it's really strange to have an emotional reaction you know, and there's nobody around. <laughs> you know, here I am having this emotional reaction. And I'm going, nobody's around. I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in it, and nobody's around. I'm looking at the screen and listening to the story, you know, and contributing to the story, and it's, it's touching me. And here I am, and you know, it's strange. You know. Maybe that's how sex scenes are, you know, in, on set. You know, there's nobody around or two people around and you have to be very clinical about what you do with it, you know, and right. it makes it's really strange afterwards. Like, well, well, I did it, but that's strange, you know? And so the same thing with, you know, this kind of emotional thing. It's like, okay, I did it. All right. All right. I guess I have to blow my nose. I have to, you know, get the water. I have to sort of breathe myself back into it because there's no person I can look at and go, I'm coming out. Are you ready to help me come out? And you know, you can tell by the ensemble, yes, we're going to bring this out together, especially the ending part when Emmett comes back and he's gone and this actor's gone through the whole gamut of everything. And in the stage play, we're all on stage and we're surrounding him and he's having this, you know, real emotional moment about I just want I just want one more day to live my life as a child, you know. And we're sitting there, so sort of like you know the African um, Orishas, and we're saying, "But it's good. You've done better than that, so you can go forward and become the ancestor that you are now meant to be." And it was sort of helping him, sort of helping the actor you know, get out of the emotional state, but also helping, you know, that kind of um, African traditional, the ancestors are around, 
and they guide you. Bernard, my co-host Zandra, she lives in Scotland and she's a very engaged audience member and sometimes critic at the Edinburgh, uh, the Edinburgh, Fe- what is it called? The, the Fringe Festival. Fringe Festival. Thank you. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, she, she had a, a last question for you. She said, as an audience member, she's been missing the physical space of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that space and the commute to and from it helps her be present for the performances she experiences. And she wants to ask what it's like for you as an actor. Like we're talking about now what it's like for you as an actor to perform at home without a theater. She wants to know how your pre and post performance rituals have changed. Well, when the first time I did was I'm a citizen because I actually did it here at my home. And it was strange, you know, going through that whole story. And then, of course, I have the big emotional moment in the show as I, you know, I speak for what happens to a lot of Black men um, and their relationship with authority, namely the police. Um, And finishing finishing that, the screen goes blank, credits roll, and I saw all of these, you know, people watching the show, you know, chatting, great job, oh my God, whatever. So it's like all this stuff happening and I'm going, but I'm home already. <laughs> there's no there's no travel to get home to make that transition happen. So I think I kept it for a, a bit because I was home and I was like, okay, all right, I'm just gonna, I, you know, Started putting my place back together, you know, started moving, you know, the uh, the table back and rolling up the back, the plat, uh, the back background and, you know, started like, you know, adjusting because I'm like, OK, so eventually I have to get ready to go to bed, <laughs> you know, and. All right, I think I have some wine in here. I have a glass of wine. OK, fine. It was weird. That one was weird. Um, so when I when I did Emmett Till, I actually did it at my school's theater. So I actually wanted that ritual of leaving us leaving one space and going to another. Um, because she's right. It is it is strange. The whole ritual of finishing a show, meeting friends afterwards maybe going out and that 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 transition back to your life you know is necessary and you know it was great cuz also we filmed it so we didn't do it live so you know i treated it like working on a film set um you know you finish the work and then people clap your hands and you sign your stuff and then you get into your car and you drive and it's almost like it never happened, you know? Um, and you just wait to see whether or not they keep what you did or they throw it on the floor. Um, and so that was, this was a, this, this was a better transition. Um, when all of the Zoom stuff started happening, I was very critical of it. Cause I was like, 
can we just let it go? We're not doing theater and we're not going to do theater for a year. Why do we have to do this? You know, this is not theater. Okay. I'm going to watch a whole bunch of actors try to do something online and read plays. I can read a play myself. I don't need this. You know, I was very just, and somebody said, you know what? Creativity has got to happen. Let it happen. Something and something good, something's going to happen out of it. And so I've been very pleased with the two things that I have done where I feel like something has happened out of it. You know, it's not just your everyday. Everybody's going to read a play. You're going to tune in. You're going to watch it and, you know, whatever. You know, Citizen was easy to do because it was still in our bones because I just I just read it, you know, in in February with most of the cast in Santa Barbara was actually the last time I was actually on a stage. And so that one was easier to do because it it was a commitment to it that we already had. Um, This one was interesting because I was like, okay, we're supposed to read this. And as we started working, the lines started coming back. And I was like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to say. I don't need to look at these lines. I can look at you or I can look in a certain, I can make a choice to look in a certain direction. You know, and I jokes like if we had no more another week, we would have all our lines and everybody laughs. It's like, it's true because it's already happening. But um, in terms, so I do miss, I do miss the people, you know, I do miss the people. I do miss, you know, I do miss that, that collective breath that an audience takes when they're watching a work and they're in it. I miss that. I, I, as I was watching, you know, Amy Till, as I was, I was at home by myself watching it, talked to the actors and said, well, do we want to do a zoom and watch it together? And we all agreed not to. Um, and I just wanted to go on the journey with it. And, you know, I was devastated at the end. I was like, oh my God, this is affecting me as an audience member. Okay. All right. There, there is hope for this medium and there is hope for act, theater to continue be, to be storytellers, even though we are in a medium that is a hybrid of film and video, but not truly. And things that we can do as actors that we would do live, but not truly. And so there's a hybrid there that can work especially if you can look at something and have it affect you. Like, you know, watching, watching our work on Emmett Till affected me. I was very, I was, I was, I was hope I'm hopeful for it. And I'm hopeful that whatever we learn from this, when we're back in the space, that we don't throw this away, that there's a place for this on the stage. Well, as an audience member and, a person who curates lists of art to check out every week. I can certainly say that your two digital performances this year, Citizen and Ballad of Emmett Till, have been very good. <laughs> they've been, as you know, as you were looking for, they've been very good examples of creativity, not just surviving, but thriving mm-hmm. during a difficult time. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Bernard, at the end of our interviews, we always ask our guests, what is the art life? The art life is your voice. You know, 
August Wilson calls it your song, that you got to have your song to sing. And the song has got to be on you. You got to find your song and you got to be able to let that song go. And if that song is is thwarted in any way, then, you know, your life is thwarted. And so finding that song, that life force within you that makes you be human and makes you, you know, makes you, makes you exist beyond the scope of your imagination. Yeah, that's the art life. I have a stack of August Wilson plays right next to me as you say this. So you could not have said a more perfect, connected thing for the two of us right now. Yeah, well, I'm getting ready to teach a whole bunch of kids about August Wilson tomorrow. And I actually am debating as to whether I have to have the strength to actually film a monologue for them. It may happen next week. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe I'll wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, yeah, let me do it. <laughs> let me turn on the lights. Let me put up something. Let me let me throw myself into it. You know, I was working on some of it today. So it's like, okay, at some point I got to do that because I think they all need to see something before they can actually experience it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for our listeners, we are going to link to the various plays and books that you mentioned. And most importantly, we'll link to The Ballad of Emmett Till, which is available to uh, rent on video on demand um, Mm -hmm. through December 31st. Mm -hmm. So that will be in our show notes for people who want to check it out. I highly recommend it. Yay. Bernard, do you have any other social media website that you want us to link to or tell our audience about? Um, I don't keep up with my social media stuff. So no, because it's all old. (laughs) I I have a website, but it's all old. I'm in the midst of redoing it. So I don't want anybody to go there until it's done because I got to get rid of all that old, all those old TV shows that no one knows anymore and then again, work on some new stuff. Well, we're all about digital boundaries on this show. So don't look at his website, everyone. Just go see the play he was in. (laughs) Yeah. And you'll see whatever. You'll you'll discover it and you'll go and look at it and go, oh, okay. I didn't know he was in that show. Um, But I'm I'm in the midst of changing it all. I've actually got to get ready to do some voiceovers. That's what I, that's my, that's, uh, that's how my life is because I come home and then at some point I have to go into my closet. I have a book on tape that I got. I have to do. So, you know, it doesn't stop. And it's a good thing. And that is the art life. Yes. <laughs> well, Bernard, it was so amazing to have you on the show. And I know as your friend, I will see you soon. But yes. thank you again on behalf of me and Zandra and everyone listening. Well, I'd like to meet them. I'm, I'm hoping we can make that happen. Okay. I know COVID is sort of like making... Making our circles small. Yeah. So, you know, good that you and I have a circle. You know, whether we extend it out, we'll see. Well, and good that we can let people in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let let people into the circle just by posting a podcast. Yeah. The kind of conversation that we just get to have in our friendship. Cool. Thank you so much. I can't wait to share this with you. Cool. Wow. I'm so glad that I got to share that conversation with Bernard. Zandra, I'm back here with you now. 
in our in our digital space. Um, do you have anything you want to share about the interview, having listened to it now? Oh my goodness, I have so much, Grace. I am so grateful to hear this conversation, to have this conversation on our show. Bernard is amazing. There are so many um, there are so many great gems that I want to bring out. But first, I want to ask you, what is the art life? The art life is letting the audience cry on your shoulder. Oh. What is the art life? I was going to say the art life is helping the audience navigate pain. Are you serious? I am serious. We have been on a track lately, you and me. We keep picking the same response. We don't plan this, everyone. We do not plan this. We're just on the same wavelength. We're just, yeah, we're right there. I just really loved hearing what Bernard was describing in the rehearsal process of how when I think of rehearsing, it's about blocking and delivering lines, but a big part of rehearsal, especially for a show like The Ballad of Emmett Till, is is how you're going to get out of it as a person. And holding that space for the audience and with the audience, I just, it makes me really want to go back to the theater again because he described so beautifully what that experience is and how how it is this this holding of space together and sharing of a story together so i am so grateful for actors like him stage actors for their emotional management it is such a gift to receive as an audience member yeah it was such an amazing reminder i, I i'm i'm so pleased that we both picked out that moment in our reflection because it was such an important reminder that like, yes, as artists, we feel some sense of ownership over our work. But even if you're, you know, beyond being a stage actor, even if you're a writer, if you're a musician, there exists this space in between the artist and the audience, and you really are sharing something together. And so often artists do become a person who needs to hold space, who needs to be a shoulder to cry on in these moments. Um, and I, I just loved how he honored that and, and understood that as part of his responsibility. And, uh, and right, as you said, sort of prepared himself, trained his emotional resiliency so that he could show up for the audience and be provide that so that he had all of his stuff handled within himself first. Like you say, it it really, we really see it on stage, but it applies to all art to a degree. So he has certainly gotten me thinking about how I do that with my writing. And I really appreciated also what he was describing in the beginning of the interview about teaching and how his more theory-focused classes on online has brought other voices out through writing about drama theory. I just felt so seen by that comment because it, it's equating writing about theater with as a voice just as much as you're, 
your vocal voice on stage. And that's a, as you know, Grace, that's an identity that I am always playing with within myself as a, a former for fun actor and singer who is now a writer. I just really appreciated that, that he noticed that and made that point. Yeah, his kids are definitely lucky to have him as a teacher. And I just, I love how he celebrated the voices he now gets to hear when the camera's off or when there people aren't on stage where, you know, he got to witness his students in a new light and that that was a gift that this year doesn't have to just be full of roadblocks that for some people, especially those who are more introverted or have social anxiety, um, this experience of virtual learning can be a blessing. Yeah, and for me, it's just different types of processing. I I process slower and on paper, and and so sometimes can have trouble with like, especially with improvisation, with doing something in the moment. So, um, I th- I think that digital learning, when approached the way that that he has done it with openness, can can like he said, bring out bring out different voices and different ways of of expression. Grace, was there anything else from the interview that you wanted to draw a star next to and bring forward? No, I just want to sit with this one. I mean, of course, this was so special to me as an actor to get to have mm-hmm. this conversation. And, uh, you know, of course, I care about him and he's a friend, but I'm just I'm just really glad we got to have this kind of conversation, this kind of grounded, thoughtful process-oriented conversation with such an established actor. Um, So although this is our podcast and I facilitated and prepared the interview, I just really appreciated this one as an audience member too. Yeah, thank you so much to Bernard for coming on here and sharing your stories and sharing your process with us. I am so glad to know you now through this podcast and I am sure that our audience listening will have so many things to take away from this conversation, too. Yes, thank you again, Bernard. And for those listening in the year 2020, uh, when this is coming out, you can watch The Ballad of Emmett Till. Um, we link to it in the show notes. It's available through December 31st, and uh, I highly recommend it. So I just want to remind people to go check that out so you know what we're talking about. It is incredible. Oh, and I I gained something else from this interview. Oh yeah, what's that? I now have my dream plan for going to Los Angeles next time, which is huge because I have not been thinking about anything near travel right now. But this conversation made me realize that's it. When Bernard directs Fairview, I'm coming. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, I loved the moment too where he just said, I would like to meet that person. (laughs) <laughs> like meeting you. He was like, when am I meeting her? And I said, you know, well, hopefully soon. She's in After Scotland, show. but let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yet another reminder that the art life is, it's a family here and we're all trying to hang out all the time. So something to look forward to indeed. Well, speaking of long distances, we'll close the show as we always do. From my side of the world, I will wish you all a good morning. And from my side of the world, I wish you a good night. Bye. Bye.
This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607, or email us, theartlife at herointraining.com. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.